and CBCA family. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, we are so glad to have you here. Even though it's not in person, we're still glad to be able to interact with you. And please use the chat function uh, during the service. Uh, you can give some amens or uh, whatever you'd like to do during the service. But also, uh, I want to remind everyone that one of our main ways of communication is email. So if you are not on our email list, please send an email to office at discovercommunity.org and let us know that you'd like to be on the list and we'll put you on that. Now we're going to have a time of worship and uh, Pastor Sam is going to bring us the word today. Some bad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away
Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you happen to watch this. Um, this is Pastor Sam. We're getting a chance to continue this new format of church, so I'm glad you guys are able to join us. I'm hoping and praying and trusting that these times will um, glorify God. That's, that's our desire in this. Whether we're together or at home, our goal is the same, to honor God's name. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a short passage. Uh, it's only a couple verses, but I think it's such a fascinating picture of who Jesus is and how he interacted with the world. Um, and quite frankly, we always need to be mindful of how Jesus interacted with the world. We need to be learning more and more of his heart so that we can imitate him as we interact with the world. We'll be in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10. If you're using a physical Bible, you're going to be looking towards probably like the last quarter of the book. If you're using an app, scroll down near the bottom of the list. That's where you'll find Mark. It's one of the Gospels. Um, it's actually the briefest Gospel. There's a, a theme of kind of urgency in Mark. You'll notice a lot of the uses of the word immediately if you read through the Gospel as a whole. And so frequently you get these kind of small stories about Jesus that really pack a lot into a lesson. And that's what we'll be looking at today. But before we dive in, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your spirit, God, that you are not confined by any quarantines or anything like that. Um, we do miss the church. We miss gathering together and being together as a body. So encourage us in this as we miss one another, as we miss the fellowship that is so beautiful and vital. 
give us encouragement, God, but remind us that you are always working. Now as we prepare to study your word, give us ears to hear like never before. Let us understand like never before. Open our eyes to see your truth, God. Don't let these be my words in this time, but let this be from you and let this be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. And this is actually a story that also appears in Matthew and Luke. So you can read the same account in three of the four Gospels. Um, you'll notice it's, it's something that would stick out, right? Especially what Jesus says, this would stick out to the people and to the disciples. So I want us to take a look at it. Mark 10, 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him. Sorry, back up for just a second. So what's going on, if, you, if we would have started at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus is teaching the crowds as we so frequently see him. He's teaching the crowds have gathered around. People are traveling. They want to hear him. They want to see him. And so we pick up in verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Like I said, that's a short story. That's only a couple verses, but there is so much packed in there. And sometimes if, if you've been attending our church for a while, if you've been listening to you know me speak for a while... Frequently, I try and build up to the hardest question that I see in the, in the text. But with this passage, I think the hardest lesson, I think the most blunt, direct question that makes me squirm the most, actually is where the story really starts off in these passages. Uh, I want to reread verse 13. They were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So what's going on here in that word for children, that word for children is paideia, and that would refer to anyone from age zero to preteen. So we're not just talking about infants. We're not just talking about 12-year-olds. It could be any child in that range. And there's actually a small lesson within that, right? Because I've seen different scholars and different texts take different positions on, oh, it was all infants, and they, he just wanted them to heal these infants. I've seen some scholars argue, no, it was older kids, and they wanted, you know, Jesus to touch their lives with his lessons. We get hung up on the details a lot, right? All we know is that the word for children was 0 to 12. That's not, to me, that's not what matters most about that verse. What's important and what I want to look at is that the parents were bringing the children to Jesus. It doesn't matter how old the child was. What matters is that the parent was bringing the child to Jesus, right? And the disciples rebuked them. Not just, hey, no, 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 turned them away, but rebuked them. I mean, called the parents out for even trying to do this. And we have to understand the culture and the social context of this. This was a time when kids really didn't count literally like when they would do censuses and things like that kids this age didn't matter they didn't they didn't count them as people they didn't pay attention to them this was kind of an age of a forgotten insignificant these children aren't important and so the disciples they've grown up in this culture right they have learned this this has been ingrained in them that that was kind of the insignificant portion of society 
And so when the disciples see Jesus, this rabbi, this, this teacher who is revolutionizing the world, this super important figure who the crowds are gathering and massing to meet and to learn from, and Jesus is instructing them, the disciples see the children, and the response is, no, 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 no. No, you're not important enough for Jesus. This is Jesus. You're too small. You're too insignificant of a thing to come before it. Shame on you, parent. I mean, you know better. That's Jesus over there. Don't try and interrupt his time with your kids. Right? He's teaching the crowds. He's teaching the masses. He's teaching Pharisees and Sadducees, our leaders. Don't take up his precious time with your kids. That doesn't count as something that can come before Jesus. And the question that I'm forced to ask myself, do I do this? And the question that I want us to ask ourselves is, do we do this? Do we place standards and limitations on what we approve of as worthy of coming to Christ with? Do we place standards on people? Do we look at some people and think, mm, not in our church. No, not, not here. You need to get some stuff figured. This is Jesus. You're too much of a mess. You've got too much going. You need to figure some stuff out, and then, then we'll let you go to Jesus. But not, not right now. That's tragic. And I'm not accusing anyone of this. I, I'm really not. I'm just asking. I mean, you look at the text, and the question is there. Do we rebuke people trying to come to Jesus? Do we do this right now? Right now, we are in a time where church looks nothing like what we're used to. Churches are trying all sorts of crazy things, right? I'm seeing churches do, instead of one big sermon once a week, they're doing five minutes every day of the week. I'm seeing some churches do, you know, okay, we're going to have five or six different people preach on different topics, right? We're seeing a lot of creativity and new ideas that haven't been attempted before. I'm seeing people do things online. I'm seeing people do things, you know, with, through their cars, through FaceTiming with one another and things like that. We're seeing stuff that the church hasn't done before. I want us to guard against looking at some of this and rebuking it. I want us to guard against the spirit of judgment and looking at what different people are doing and what different people are trying and saying, that doesn't count. Five minutes? That, no. You can't possibly get a lesson in in five minutes. That, that, that doesn't count. That, no. Come on, do better. Are we rebuking people? And maybe not rebuking people outwardly, but in our hearts. In our hearts, do we rebuke people trying to come to Jesus? Because we're trying to limit them with these standards that we think apply. See, the disciples, they were treating Jesus like how they imagined another important ruler of the day would behave, right? Like any other important person, any other person with the magnitude of Christ wouldn't have had time for the kids. So that's what the disciples are doing. And then also, while we're on this topic of rebuking people coming to Jesus, I think sometimes we allow the devil to rebuke us when we try and go to Jesus. And I think we believe the lies that what we want to go to Jesus with aren't worthy of his time. There's something that's weighing on us. There's something that's burdening us. There's something that's grieving us, that's causing us pain. And we want to go to Jesus with it, but we believe the lie of the enemy when he whispers to us, that's Jesus. Come on, you know better. Don't take that to Jesus. Jesus is too important to deal with that issue of yours. You are way too much of a mess to go before Jesus. Don't, shame on you. 
So not only do I want us to ask ourselves, do we rebuke others in our heart? Do we rebuke ourselves? Or rather, do we allow the enemy to rebuke us when we're trying to go to Jesus? If we do, that, that's so tragic to me. That's heartbreaking to think that we are trying to go to Jesus or there are people trying to go to Jesus and instead we listen to those lies of, mm -mm, no, 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 not right now, not you, not this time, not this moment. You can't go to Jesus with this. You know why I love, I love listening to kids pray. I, I do, I just, I, I really enjoy and appreciate how kids pray because kids pray so honestly right? You pray with a child and they pray like, God, heal my puppy or heal my kitty because he's not feeling well. The child prays to God and they ask for, God, please let there be nice weather on Saturday because I want to go to my friend's birthday party. See, kids, kids go to Jesus honestly and openly and readily and immediately. Kids innocently believe and know that Jesus cares about what's burdening them. So they take it to him, but not us adults. No, we know better. We would never dare to pray for something as trivial as nice weather so that we can enjoy a cookout with friends. That, that's not important enough to come to Jesus. There are, there are some pretty strict standards on who or what we will allow to get 30 seconds of Jesus' time, right? And so adults, we rebuke ourselves. We rebuke others because we put these, these limitations on Christ based on how we think important people and prominent people would want to be treated. But what do we see in Jesus's response? This is incredible. This is why I love this story. We see such a beautiful picture of who Christ is. So we start off with these parents trying to bring their children to Christ, and his disciples rebuke them. I mean, they shame them. They rebuke them from doing so. And how does Jesus respond? This is verse 15, 14. I'm sorry. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus was indignant. He wasn't just disappointed by this. He was bothered by this. He was indignant with his disciples that they would rebuke someone from trying to come to him. He doesn't just say, let them come to me. He says, get out of their way. Why would you get in the way of someone trying to come to me? Because that's who Jesus is. That's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of who Jesus is. If you've been listening to this, I, I get it. It's different listening in your home. Maybe you've got your phone up too, right? This is on your laptop screen, but you're also playing on your phone. Maybe you've got it on your laptop screen, but you're in another tab working on some other stuff. Please give me your attention for these next three minutes. Undivided attention, because I want you to hear this. I, I want you to hear this more than anything else. If you feel like you've been rebuked, if you're someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ and you happen to be listening to this, and you feel like the church wouldn't want me, when I try and show up at the church, they turn me away. They're not interested in me. One, I, I promise you we want you. I, I promise you we do. I apologize if our actions ever reflect anything else, but we want you. But way more importantly than that, Jesus wants you. Jesus wants us. He wants me. He looks at me, a sinner, and he says, I want you. And I promise you, Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, let them come to me and get out of their way because I want them. I care about them. I love them. 
I'm burdened for them. I died for them. Let them come to me. And if you're a believer and you have a relationship with Christ, but you've allowed the, the enemy to lie to you about what you can and can't go to Jesus with, if you've allowed the enemy to prevent you from going to Jesus, if you've allowed your own fears or insecurities or worries to prevent you from going to Jesus, please hear this verse. Jesus was indignant and he said, let them come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. We see a beautiful lesson about the kingdom of heaven. The question, who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Who is the kingdom of heaven for? Everyone. The kingdom of heaven is for everyone who comes to Jesus. We see this in Jesus' words. We see this in scripture. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The kingdom of heaven is for such as these. Romans 10, 11 to 13, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The disciples were trying to distinguish between children and adults. They were trying to distinguish between socially worthy and socially unacceptable. And the Bible tells us, no, there is no distinction. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. All who come to Jesus will be saved. The kingdom of heaven is for all of us. It's available to all of us. Jesus died for all of us. It's open to all of us. It's incredible. Please, if you've heard nothing else, hear that. Don't let anyone, don't let anything rebuke you or turn you away from going to the person of Christ. And that's true for the believer and the non-believer. We must always go to the person of of Christ. And it actually, Jesus even takes it farther than that. He takes it beyond just in verse 14, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says next. Jesus takes it a step further. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's, that's a incredibly direct and blunt statement. When I read something like that, you better believe I'm going to dig into this. Right? If I read something like, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it, my immediate is, okay, what does that mean? I need to understand this. This is a huge deal. And we see this, this again, we see this in Matthew and Mark and Luke, but we also see this, we see the same idea in Matthew 18. I want to turn back. This will just be one book prior to Mark. So if you're in a physical Bible, just a handful of pages. If you're in an app, pull up the list. It should be right above it. But this is going to be Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So multiple times, this was a separate incident, right? Multiple times we have Jesus saying, Look, if you don't enter heaven like a child, you won't enter it. And that makes me, what is Jesus getting at with this? That's a huge idea. We need to understand this. And to understand it, let's read the next verse in Matthew 18. This is Matthew 18, 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, that's what Jesus was getting at. Jesus was getting at the humility of children. And if you've got parents, if you've got kids, 
You might be thinking, what? Humility of children? But let's think through this. Because this is a point that Jesus has now made multiple times. That you have to enter heaven like a child. And he's talked about the humility of children. And what do we know about heaven? We know that heaven cannot be earned. We know that heaven, that salvation, is a free gift from God that must be received. And that's such a hard concept for adults to wrap their minds around, but not for kids. Kids readily accept blessings from their parents without asking the question of, did I earn this? What did I do to deserve this? Is this a meritocracy within our household? I've shared with you guys, I grew up a pastor's kid, right? And my dad was constantly asking us questions to create illustrations and lessons. And one of the questions, actually not just once, I remember him asking us this multiple times to really drive home the lesson to us because he was also trying to teach us, not just use us to teach others, but to teach us. And I remember my parents asking us multiple times as they put dinner on the table or they'd give us a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, right? They'd say, what did you do to earn this? Did you do anything? I can remember them putting plates down and saying, did you do anything to earn this meal? And then they'd ask directly, why am I giving you this? And there was one time, I don't remember if it was my brother, sister, or I, but one of us, we finally kind of figured it out and we answered when they said, why are we doing this for you? What Did you do anything to earn this? And we said, you're doing it because you love us. And that's the truth. That's the truth of the humility of children. Children don't earn what their parents give them. Especially, remember, we're looking at children 0 to 12, right? So we're not talking about a teenager who's maybe working a side job and bringing home some money to help the family. We're talking about a 5-year-old, an 8-year-old, right? They don't earn what their parents give them. The parents give them because they love them. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is freely offered and freely given. All we have to do is place our trust in Jesus. We recognize him as Lord and Savior, but we can't earn heaven. And that's very hard for adults to wrap their minds around. Because everything else in this life, we treat like something that can be earned. How many times have you heard people say, oh, respect is earned. Trust is earned. Admiration, that's earned. Right? We are all about proving ourselves. We are all about demonstrating, I am this valuable, which is why you should reward me with A, B, and C. We're all about merit as adults, but not kids. And the same applies to the kingdom of heaven. This is how uh, Bible commentary by Walwood and Zuck, great commentary out of the Dallas Theological Seminary, and this is how they describe the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom is not gained by human achievement or merit. It must be received as God's gift through simple trust by those who acknowledge their inability to gain it any other way. There are a lot of words in there that trip up adults. Those who acknowledge their inability to gain it by any other way. We don't like thinking there's nothing we can do about an issue. Right? We hate feeling hopeless and helpless like that. We want to feel like if I just apply myself hard enough, if I work hard enough, if I put off enough sweat and blood and tears, if I put in enough hours, I can solve this myself. I can fix this problem on my own. No, you have to acknowledge you can't gain heaven in any other way. It's freely given. It's a gift from God. We struggle with that as adults, right? If you watch The Office, they did that whole episode where Andy and Dwight keep trying to one-up one another by doing something because they, they don't like the idea of receiving a gift and being in debt to someone. Adults struggle with the concept of gifts. We struggle with the concept of an inability to do something about something. That's what heaven is. 
Heaven is freely offered. Christ died for one and all. There is nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. There is nothing you can do to work your way into heaven. It is offered by God because he loves us. We see this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We can't boast on getting into heaven. I, I didn't get into heaven because of how great I am. I received heaven as a gift because of how great God is. You need to understand that. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, unless you enter the kingdom of heaven like a child, you won't enter it. If you spend your life trying to work your way into heaven, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. It's grace. It's a gift. It's given out of love. It must be accepted and received as such. And what else? We see the New Testament use children as an example multiple times when we're looking at someone who believes in Christ and follows Christ. What do we learn from children? 1 Corinthians 14.20, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. In your thinking, be mature. So what they're getting at there with, don't be children in your thinking. When it comes to your thoughts, your mind, be mature, be wise, right? Be responsible. But when it comes to evil, be infants, be unfamiliar, be innocent. Don't have anything to do with it, right? A two-year-old doesn't know anything about cheating and stealing and lust and anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy. They experience those flashes of emotions, right? I get that like a kid wants the other one's toy. But a child doesn't know a spirit of jealousy. A child doesn't know a spirit of anger and resentment and hostility. A child doesn't know a spirit of refusing to forgive. Be infants in evil. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Again, be infants in evil. Put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up into salvation, I'm sorry. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Admittedly, we don't have our own kids, right? But I've worked in a pediatrician's office. We've served in the nursery for years. Plenty of our friends have had babies, have had children. I've been exposed to enough babies and infants and children that I feel comfortable making this point. I have yet to encounter a baby or a child who, if they're hungry, will not let you know. Right? Parents, comment, verify this. If your child is hungry, they're, especially a baby, right? If a baby is hungry, if an infant, a toddler, said as infants crave spiritual milk, if your infant is hungry, are they just going to sit back and... Well, I, hope, I hope they figure it out at some point. If it's an hour, if it's a day, if it's a week, whenever. But I'll just sit here hungry. No, right? An infant... I, I mean, I've been around enough screaming infants to know that if an infant is hungry... They're going to do everything in their power to address it, 
right? Because they're, they're an infant. They can't go feed themselves, but they are going to do everything they can. They're going to throw a fuss. They're going to get your attention because their sole goal is to be fed. So if the Bible says that we're to be like infants craving pure spiritual milk, my question, and this is a pretty hard question too, but my question is, do we crave that same nourishment from God as an infant longing to be fed? Are we doing everything in our power to pursue that nourishment? Are we doing everything we can to get fed? As an infant throws a tantrum until their hunger is dealt with, are we casting aside distractions? Are we changing our schedule, rearranging the way we spend our time to pursue nourishment from God's word? I mean, do you consider the word of God? Do you consider prayer time? Do you consider quiet time with Jesus as absolutely as essential to your life as being physically fed? We're supposed to. This is the challenge that's laid out before us that we are to crave this. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? An infant craves the nourishment in that milk because they've had it before and they know how good it is. So if we have a relationship with Christ, we know to a degree how good he is. So my question is, when I read these verses, when we look at be like infants, my question is, do we see a desire, I mean a deep-seated desire, a longing for, a craving for, nourishment from God. If you have an infant, think about this. How well would that child do if you fed it once a week? I'm guessing not very well. How well would that child do if you fed it three times a week, four times a week? Not great. How well if you fed it daily, just once, but daily, right? And just for a little bit, you were able to get, you know, not a whole lot of time, but you spent a good three, five minutes feeding it just at the start of the day. Is that going to be enough for that child to grow? Is an infant going to grow and flourish and thrive, scraping by on a hurried feeding once in the morning? Or maybe once right before, right before bed, but maybe you're kind of tired, so you, know, you doze off halfway through. The, the feeding gets cut short halfway through. Is that going to be enough for that child to grow? So why in the world do we as adults who are called to be mature in our thinking, why do we as adults remotely think that a hurried feeding once a day is going to be enough to nourish us and sustain us? I mean, why do we treat it so casually? I wonder if it's because we don't long for it. So maybe the prayer in our hearts need to be, God, teach me to be a child. Teach me to pursue this nourishment from you at all costs. Teach me to do everything I can to be fed by you. I think we need to become like children. And then lastly, I want to look at Matthew 5.3. To go back to Matthew, to go back to Jesus speaking. This is his famous Sermon on the Mount, right? So we've been looking at this question of who is the kingdom of heaven for? Jesus said, if you don't enter it like a child, you won't enter it. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This is who the kingdom of heaven is for. Jesus had previously talked about who the kingdom of heaven belongs to in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. And the two ideas are connected. 
Because poor in spirit is the opposite of self-sufficiency. Poor in spirit is the opposite of boasting in yourself. Poor in spirit is the opposite of knowing I have earned this. I brought something to the table. There is an equal exchange. I earned this. Parents, think about your kids. And if your kids are older, think about when they were in that zero to, you know, preteen. Think about a seven-year-old, a four-year-old. I'm going to ask a question. I, I don't mean it to be a throwaway question. I mean it quite literally. What did your child bring to the relationship? Yes, you absolutely, don't get me wrong, you got joy from them, right? You, you derived satisfaction from them, and you, you loved them, so you got joy from giving to them. But I'm talking about what did they bring to the relationship? What did they add to the equation? Were any of you dependent on your five-year-old to pay the bills? Were any of you relying on your eight-year-old to take the car out and go get groceries? Were you then waiting for the eight-year-old to take the car out, get groceries, bring it home so your three-year-old could cook dinner for you? When something broke around the house, did you look at your six-year-old like, well, you better get on that. Gotta get up on the roof and fix it. What did your child bring to the relationship? Right? What sufficiency did they bring on their own? Or were they entirely dependent upon you for their sustenance? Were they entirely reliant upon you? In the relationship between a parent and a child, who is the dependent one? Because that's what poor in spirit is. Poor in spirit is acknowledging. It's a deep humility. This isn't a bad thing. Being poor in spirit is a deep humility that freely admits we are utterly bankrupt apart from God. That we are utterly lost and hopeless and helpless apart from God's grace and mercy. I will testify every day of my life, I did nothing to earn heaven. I did not deserve heaven based on some merit of my own. I, it's not like I preached a certain amount of sermons and I was like, okay, that last one was good enough. You get into heaven now. I will be in heaven for eternity for one reason and one reason only. That God loved me enough to send his, Christ, his son, Christ, to die for me. That is how I have entered heaven. Through Jesus' sacrifice, through God's grace, nothing of my own. That is poor in spirit. And I'm not trying to say I am perfectly poor in spirit. Please never, ever think I'm saying I'm perfect. I am under no illusions as to that. I don't expect you all to be perfect. I desire that we all would be poor in spirit. I desire that we would all be keenly aware of how little we bring, nothing. Because when we realize that, then we start to realize how great the scope is of God's gift that he has poured out on us. We realize the abundance, the overflowing abundance of his love. When we realize we did nothing to earn what he has offered, we realize how deeply he loves for us. That's what we see in this story in Mark, right? That's what we see in this passage. We see a deep personal love. We see that Jesus is for everyone, regardless of the, the impositions that society wants to place, regardless of the standards that we come up with in our own minds and that we try and impose, regardless of the restrictions that the devil tries to convince us of. Jesus loves you and desires that you come to him. Jesus' gift is for everyone. 
let me reread this chapter. Or not, not this chapter. Let me reread these, these four verses. I mean, we see all of this in such a small moment. Verse 13, Mark 10. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We see love. We see perfect love in this moment. And it drives me to my knees. It's incredible. So my challenges, my questions for you all. When people are trying to come to Christ, are we rebuking them? Or are we showing them the way? Yeah, this way. You want to meet Jesus? I will take you to him. Come meet Jesus. Don't ever let anyone or anything rebuke you from the person of Christ. And that includes yourself. Don't ever let the devil whisper in your ear that you're not worthy of going before Jesus. Never, ever allow us or others to be rebuked from the person of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is for everyone. It is for such as these. And if we don't enter it with humility, if we don't receive it gratefully, you're not going to earn your way in. So please lay aside your pride, lay aside your ego, lay aside your, your panic and your worry and your fear that you haven't done enough because the bottom line is you haven't. Receive heaven gratefully and humbly and if you don't know how to, send us a message and we will walk you through it. I would love to talk to you about this. But please remember that we go before Jesus freely and we go before Jesus humbly knowing that he desires that and that he has made it possible to us through his sacrifice, nothing that we did. That's what I see in this story. I see overwhelming, unrelenting love. I want us to reflect that. And we're in a time right now where so many people are curious. So many people are more willing to listen to the idea of Jesus and the message of the gospel than before, right? When things get tough, people want answers. People are looking for answers. They're asking questions. They're pursuing truth, wondering where they can find it. Let us not rebuke them. In this time, let us rise up and meet the challenge and meet the opportunity to point people to Jesus because the kingdom of heaven is for them. And that's a beautiful, beautiful truth that I pray is always on the front of your heart. Let's pray. God, I don't even have the words. I really don't. I'm trying to think of what I could say to express how grateful I am. And I can't. There aren't the words in our language that I could express how grateful I am to you. That Jesus, that you look at me and you say, let him come to me. So God, my prayer is simple. Let me always know the truth to run to Jesus. 
Let that always be the desire of my heart. Let me crave you. Teach me to run to you always. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen.